Well, good morning. My name is uh, Gary. Welcome to White Plains. I joyfully serve as the senior pastor here. And if you're new to us, I want to say a special welcome to you. Thank you for being our guest this morning. I hope that you are finding our church to be a warm and welcoming group of people. Kids, it's always good to see you here at church. Thank you for being with us. I want to uh, um, ask, I hope, well, I, guess, I hope that you're having a good first month of school. I, I think you're probably learning some new things and you're um, making some new friends. And I want to encourage you to let your friends at school know about Mary Poppins Returns in this, this, this last movie night that we're having uh, for the year. Um, will be uh, September 22nd. Uh, we're going to be out in the backyard again with this movie and uh, invite your friends, your family, and your neighbors to, to this uh, event. Your, your parents and your grandparents probably like the original one better, uh, but it'll be fun to, to see this one together. Um, and so I hope that you can invite them to, to be a part of that. We'll have cotton candy. We'll have popcorn. It'll be a, a fun time. It'll be the last one because in October we're going to have the, uh, the fall festival, and that'll be a fun time. Uh, it'll be much different than a movie night, but it'll be a fun time. And then, uh, then in November, it might be too cold to be outside and watching a movie at night. So this will be the last one for our season. But uh, kids, thank you for being here at church. I'll go ahead and dismiss you to Kids Church. Kids Church is for kids in uh, kindergarten through fifth grade. And parents and grandparents, you can pick the kids up after our service is over in the lobby. I do want to make mention, sometimes you can make a typo and it's okay. But sometimes you can make a really bad typo, and it's not okay. I don't know if you know what I'm about to show you, but Heather was out this after, this, later on in the week. She's been sick this week, and, and so I did the bulletin. And there is probably an unforgivable typo in the bulletin that needs to be drawn your attention to. And so uh, the song we just sang is not Amazing Grace, My Chains Are God. Um, I want to make that clear this morning. Uh, that was my mistake for misspelling the word gone. Um, but so there, I just I thought it was important. To, I know we've been talking about little G gods on Wednesday nights, and I didn't want any confusion to happen based upon uh, the, the misprint there in the bulletin. But, but this morning, we're going to be starting a new series in the letter of 1 Timothy. I'm titling this Gospel Centered Godliness Being the Church in the Community. This series uh, will take us to Thanksgiving, and so I'm, I'm looking forward to, to spending some time in this, uh, this letter. It's, it doesn't have many pages, but it has lots of content, lots of words, and I'm looking forward to, to spending this time uh, going through this pastoral letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. And as we study through this letter, I want to keep our focus on the, the call in 1 Timothy to godliness. It is throughout this letter. It's, it is a recurring theme in 1 Timothy. It's mentioned at least 10 times. And we're going to see that this call to godliness in 1 Timothy is for Timothy. And it's for church pastors like Timothy was. And it's for the church members. And it's for the sake of the gospel. Our godliness is for the sake of the gospel. It's a call to the church members and the church leadership to live and worship in a way that proclaims the gospel to each other, to the church, and to the community through its godliness. And I've been here at White Plains for just right at a year and a half, and this is the first time we're spending 
uh, time together looking through a letter of Paul. Now, I've mentioned Paul. We've looked at Paul in Acts, and Paul is uh, definitely someone um, that you're probably familiar with. You might have strong opinions about the Apostle Paul, uh, but he is a, an important character in the Bible. Uh, but this is the first time we're going to go through one of his writings. And First uh, Timothy is a letter to Timothy, who was the pastor of the Ephesian church. You'll recognize that your Bible has a letter to the Ephesian church in it also. Paul wrote that. He first wrote the Ephesian church in 60 A.D. about. Then he wrote this first Timothy about 64 A.D. Then he wrote another letter to Timothy called 2 Timothy, and that was while he was awaiting execution around 68 A.D. All of that to say is that what is said in Ephesians and 1 and 2 Timothy were written to the same church culture by the same person. The letter to the Ephesians was to the church. The letters of 1 and 2 Timothy were to the pastor of the church, Timothy. And you might also remember that Ephesus was one of the churches that, are, that is mentioned that is mentioned in Revelation uh, 2, 1 through 7, where Jesus is speaking to some of the churches. It's helpful to read these letters collectively together. Uh, they'll give you a clearer picture of what's being communicated in the different writings when you read them together. Now, Ephesus does no longer exist as the city of Ephesus. The, the area is now what is called uh, Selkuk, Turkey, and it's 99% Muslim. Now, according to the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention, there is a small group of Protestant Christians who were former Muslim believers who still gather in this area for church. And so it's interesting that, that this, one of the first churches, early churches in our Bible, is there's still believers worshiping. And they can look at these letters and think back to their, their history. So this morning I'm going to attempt to do two things. Hopefully, we're going to give you a little bit of a background on Timothy and Paul as we jump into this letter by looking at what other books and letters have said in the Bible about them. And then secondly, I'm going to show you how to express your testimony based on how Paul shares his testimony in Acts. So let's first look at the first two verses of 1 Timothy. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by command of God and, Savior, and our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God, the Father, in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word to us this morning. Lord, thank you for Paul and for Timothy and the way you've called them and moved them and their obedience to you. Lord, we thank you that we can trace our salvation to Paul's obedience to Jesus as he proclaimed the gospel to the Gentiles. As non-Jewish people, we can, we can trace our, our salvation back to his obedience, and we thank you for that. We thank you for what you've given us in your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So before we get into the backgrounds of Paul and Timothy, let's, let's quickly unpack uh, these two verses. Um, Paul says that he is an apostle of Jesus. This means that Paul has been sent out by Jesus for the sake of the gospel to the world. And by being a, an apostle, he's basically a messenger. 
And if you've been with us on Wednesday nights and we're studying angels in the unseen realm, you know that angels are messengers. And so God has an interesting way of using his creation to share messages through them with his creation. Paul is that as an apostle. He's a messenger sent out by Jesus himself. An apostle is attached to the gospel message. Now, we don't have apostles like this anymore. We believe that this office of the church ended because Jesus doesn't send people out directly. An apostle was sent out by Jesus directly. We believe that Paul was the last one. Now, we do have people who function and act like apostles by being sent out and by carrying the message of the gospel. We do have that. Uh, we have people uh, that we call church planters. And that's what Paul was. He was a church planter. We have missionaries who function very similar to the same ways that an apostle uh, functions. So Paul is a church planter sent out by Jesus, and Timothy went with him. Timothy was called to go or invited to go by Paul. So Timothy's not an apostle. Timothy ends up being a pastor. And a, another difference between pastors and apostles are pastors will stick around the church longer, while apostles are more like traveling evangelists. They travel around and they don't stay attached to a church too long. So let's look at Timothy's background, and we'll start by looking, we'll look at several passages. They're all going to be on the screen. Let's start in 2 Timothy verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 5. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. So the first thing I want you to know about Timothy is that he comes from a family of faithful women. Timothy came from a family of faithful women, and many of you can... Uh, can, can agree with this. You, you probably come from a family of faithful women. You might can trace your faith back, like Timothy, to your mother or to your grandmother. Lois is Timothy's grandmother, and she was devout. She was a faithful woman. Timothy's mother, Eunice, followed in her mother's footsteps, and that set up Timothy on a faithful foundation. The influence of godly women in the lives of kids and grandkids is essential the passing of the faith. These two ladies were faithful in their Hebrew beliefs, and they came to faith in Christ. Let's continue in 2 Timothy. This is in the third chapter. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So not only did Timmy, Timothy come from a, a family of faithful women, Timothy grew up with the Hebrew Bible. Probably because of the faith of his grandmother and his mother, Timothy grew up hearing and learning from the Hebrew Bible. Because he had grown up with the Hebrew Bible, we call it the Old Testament, he was ready to respond to the gospel when he met Jesus, when he heard of Jesus. Now, some of the best writing in the Bible is right here in 2 Timothy 3. Teach your kids and grandkids the Bible. 
God uses the Bible here, according to 2 Timothy 3, for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. God uses the Bible to equip us for every good work that comes with following Jesus. Let's jump over to Acts 16, where we learn a little bit more about Timothy. Paul came also to Derby and Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers of Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And they went on their way through the cities. They delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. We find Timothy here in Acts, already converted to following Jesus. We get a mention of his faithful mother. We knew that already, but there is something that's interesting. Even though she was a faithful follower, a faithful woman of both Hebrew and then of Jesus, she did not marry a faithful Jewish man. She married a Greek. Timothy's father was a Greek. Like many faithful women, even today, Eunice married someone who wasn't of the same or equal faith. This can and does often create drama in the house. And if you are not married, you should carefully consider the faith of someone you date. Or considering marrying, you should consider the faith. It will be easier and better for you if you marry of similar and equal faith. If you are married and you find yourself in a similar situation to Timothy's parents, pray for your unbelieving or less believing spouse. God is the one who saves. God is the one who can grow your spouse through your witness and your prayers. The influence of Timothy's dad was seen in that Timothy wasn't circumcised as a baby. Now, even though Timothy was a son of a Greek and a Jewish woman, a Greek man and a Jewish woman, Timothy would have been considered Jewish, and it would have been expected that he would have been circumcised as a baby. That wasn't the case. Even though Timothy's dad was Greek, Timothy should have been circumcised. Who knows how that conversation played out in the house as they were considering what to do with this young baby. But we see here in Acts that Timothy was finally circumcised. He was circumcised for the sake of the gospel. Timothy was circumcised for the sake of the gospel. Now this is interesting because Christians do not need to be circumcised. Christians don't need to be circumcised. This was a big argument in the early church as the church tried to understand how can you be a Christian and not have to go through circumcision to do that? And so there was arguments that were happening, and it's, and it's in, in your Bible, it's in Acts. This is a big point of contention in our church, and Paul is on the side that you do not have to be circumcised to be a Christian. However, he makes Timothy get circumcised. For the sake of the gospel, going to the Jewish people, Timothy is circumcised. And so God blessed Timothy's missionary efforts. We see that the missionary efforts of Paul and Timothy were blessed 
here by the church. Uh, the church was strengthened and people were added. Now let's look at Paul's background a little bit. If you remember from our Acts study last year, I told you that Luke wrote the biggest portion of the New Testament. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke and the Acts of the Apostles. Luke wrote the most words in your New Testament. Paul, on the other hand, has written the most books or letters in the New Testament. A good portion of Acts is devoted toward the, Paul's missionary journeys. Paul is an important person in the New Testament. He's, a new, he's an important person for the church. Much of our theology comes from Paul and his writings. As we look at Paul's background, we're going to be looking at Acts 26. Now these passages will be on your screen as we look through them. Here we're going to get to know Paul, we're going to get to know Paul's life as he defends his life in front of King of Agrippa. This is how the chapter begins in chapter 26 verses 1 through 3. So Agrippa said to Paul, "You have permission to speak for yourself." Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, I am going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. As we get to know Paul's background here in Acts 26, we're basically going to get his testimony. This is very helpful for us, for Christians, because we can use Paul's approach here in Acts 26 to help develop our own personal faith story so that we can share it with others. And we're going to go through this strategy a little bit later this morning. But let's first get to know what Paul was like before he knew Jesus, before he encountered Jesus. This is what he says in Acts 26, verses 4 through 11. My manner of life from my youth spent, before, spent from the beginning among my own nation, and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our twelve tribes hope to attain, as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope I am accused by Jews, O king, why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues, and I tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them, even to foreign cities. Paul was a well-known Jew. People knew Paul. He had a reputation being a well-known Jew. He was popular they knew that he was very devout, and he was very strict in his practice of being a Jew. Not only was he a well-known Jew, he was a good Jew. The Jews love Moses. They still do today. And Jesus was somewhat undoing 
much of what Moses set out. At least, that's what is perceived by the Jews. Now, we know that Jesus wasn't undoing the law so much as he was fulfilling the law. The Jews, especially the faithful, strict, and popular Jews like Paul, didn't like Jesus. This was Paul. He did not like Jesus. Paul opposed Jesus, and he persecuted the church. He took it upon himself to go after the church. He persecuted the church, not by making it difficult for them, not by spreading gossip about them, not by calling them out in public. Paul was a killer. He would cast his vote to kill Christians. And those he didn't kill, he attempted to make them to deny Jesus publicly. He'd run them out of town. Paul was not a nice guy. Paul was not a guy that you would hope that would come into your church service some Sunday morning. This, this is who Paul was before he came to Christ. Let's look at his encounter with Jesus. Paul continues in Acts 20, 26, verses 12 through 20. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when he had fallen, we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet. For I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles, to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may, in turn, may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins in a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. It was in his activity of going after the Christians, casting his vote to kill them and to deny Jesus in public and to running them out of town, this is how he met Jesus. Paul was persecuting Christians when he met Jesus. Now, Paul didn't make any effort to clean himself up before he met Jesus, before he came to church. He didn't want anything to do with the church except to persecute it. Then something happened. Jesus appeared to Paul. Paul's conversion is somewhat unique in that Jesus himself appeared to Paul. Now, when I began to faithfully follow Jesus as a child, it was in response to the Bible, to hearing about Jesus and his word. And that's the way most of us come to faith. But Paul is different in that Jesus appeared to Paul in physical form. But Paul is similar to us and that Jesus rescues us and gives us purpose just like he did Paul. Jesus rescues Paul, and he gives Paul a purpose. Jesus personally rescued Paul from his fate 
of trying to persecute and kill those in the church. Jesus rescues Paul. This is after the death and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus appeared to Paul. He rescues him and gives him a purpose. Now this purpose is to reach the world for Jesus. This purpose and Paul's obedience to it is directly responsible for our coming to faith in Jesus. Paul is obedient to Jesus' purpose for him. Paul is obedient. Paul takes that same passion that he had for persecuting the church to being its biggest spokesperson. Paul obeys Jesus. When we come to faith in Jesus, we are quickly tasked with obedience and following God's plan for our lives. The first act of obedience for most of us is baptism. Let's look at what life was like after Paul met Jesus. This is in Acts 26, verses 21 through 23. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. Now there is a thought in some parts of Christianity and in the church that if someone comes to Jesus, life will be good and easy for them. Well, life with Jesus is always better than life without Jesus. It is not always the case that life will be good and easy. With Jesus. Take Paul for, an, for instance. Life became difficult for Paul after coming to faith in Jesus. Paul's, his former friends, his co workers attempted to kill Paul as they seized him after he came to faith in Jesus. One could argue that life was much easier for Paul before Christ. In fact, most of the expansion of the early church was because life for Paul was not easy. If you remember from our study in Acts, Paul was ran out of town many times as he was building up the church. These people were chasing him, and they did great harm to Paul. Life may not become easy for you if you follow Jesus, but you do have a promise from God. He will be with you through the hard times. That is his promise. With Christ, God will be with you. Without Christ, you are alone. It is better to be with Jesus than without, but it may not always be easy. In that difficulty, God helped Paul. This is what Paul experienced. We don't see anywhere in the Bible where Paul was left alone by God. God was with him. God's grace was enough to get him through any difficulty. Paul preached the gospel through the lens of the Old Testament, both to the Jews and the Gentiles. So Paul knew the Hebrew Bible. He was a student of it. He studied it from uh, being a kid. We call the Hebrew Bible the Old Testament. So he had that, and he had the gospel message that Jesus proclaimed. He took the gospel. He preached it through the lens of the Old Testament to the Jews who were out to get him, and to the Gentiles. Our message of the gospel should be centered on the Bible, the whole Bible. 
we can use our story, our testimony, our personal faith story of how we came to faith in Jesus to share it with others. It is a good story to share. It is good to do that, but make sure that your understanding is shaped by the Bible. Ultimately, Paul writes much of the New Testament. We see the way that his, his story unfolded in front of King Agrippa is later expounded theologically as he writes to the churches that he helps plant. So take a look at the next part of your notes. Now we're not going to go through all of, the, all of this uh, together, but it's meant for you to develop your personal faith story, how you came to Jesus, by understanding what the Bible says is common to all of us as we come to Jesus. You have a story worth sharing. If you are following Jesus, you have a story worth sharing to others. Other people need to hear. As you develop your personal faith story, you should include passages from the Bible to help your hearers know of your story, of what's true for you is true for them. In Romans 6.23, this is the verse that the navigators use to build out the one-verse evangelism method. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Your personal faith story should include that verse because it shares the gospel as, it, as you share your story. The rest of the passages there on your sheet uh, are from Paul. Some of them are from John. And this is the homework that I give those who are expressing an interest in baptism. You read Katie Thompson's story during her baptism a couple of weeks ago. Her story was powerful and good, and it was shaped by her doing this homework. And we have three other people in the process of getting baptized, and they are going through the same personal faith story homework. This is something we also use in our membership class. If you've never sat down and wrote out or thought out your personal journey to Jesus, I would encourage you to take this and work through it. It's helpful. As you look through that sheet, you've got the before Christ, like Paul mentioned, how his life was like before Christ. There's verses there in Romans that talk about what life is like for everybody before Christ. And then encountering Christ. And then with Christ. Now perhaps you don't have a personal faith story to share because you've been around Jesus, but you've never followed Jesus. If you need to get that part of your story settled, you can begin your faith story with Jesus today. I'll invite the worship team to come back up. And for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. With Jesus, with, I mean, without Jesus, you will die. Not just die in this life, we all do that. But without Jesus, you'll be separated from all that is good and loving for a future forever. This is the death that sin brings, separation from God and from goodness. But God gives you grace and the free gift of Jesus. In Jesus, you will have life even after death. Life everlasting awaits those who follow Jesus and make him the Lord and center of their life. Will you follow Jesus today? Let me close with Paul's words to King Agrippa in Acts 26, 19-20. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, 
than throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. If you're following Jesus, are you being obedient to Jesus? Paul preached repentance. Jesus preached repentance. Paul called his listeners to perform deeds in keeping with their repentance. Does your life look like you're a Christian? We'll sing in a moment a song of invitation. And if you want to talk more about what it means to follow Jesus or to how your life should look like if you are a Christian, this time is for you to come forward and to pray and where you could speak to me. Also, I'm available to discuss this anytime throughout the week. Just don't put it off. Are you following Jesus? Does your life look like you are? Will you stand as we pray? God, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you for Paul and Timothy, their obedience to you, your call in their life, and how they lived a life that looked like they were Christian. Lord, I pray that we would be known the same way, that people would look at us and they would know that we believe in you because of our faith is evident, and it pours itself out in the way we live. Lord, help us to do that. Give us strength to do that. Help us to confess what needs to be confessed and repent what needs to be repented. You are good and we trust you to work in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.